What would you say um, is the answer to this question? Who is the smartest person who's ever lived? Um, I, I teach at a high school, and sometimes I ask my students this question just at the beginning of the course to get a sense of where they're coming from. And uh, here's a picture of a whiteboard um, of answers my students recently gave to the question of who is the smartest person who ever lived. Uh, some of the answers that come up a lot are people like Einstein, um, Stephen Hawking, um, there's Newton, people say Steve Jobs. Uh, there's a lot of different names that can come up on the list. Um, some people say Oprah. Um, people have said Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, somebody who doesn't usually come up on the list of really smart people is Jesus. It's funny that his name doesn't show up when you consider that really more books have been written about him and more songs have been sung to him and really more lives have people have claimed to have their lives transformed by him than anybody else in history. Um, in, our, in our Western world, our laws, institutions like marriage and family and business, they still run according to the principles that he taught. Um, much of the world that we live in has been built by um, Christ's followers. And yet his name doesn't usually make it on the list of, of really smart people. And when I ask my students what makes these people so smart, um, what they basically say is these people have knowledge of reality. They, they know how the world really works and they know how to live well in it. And um, these people have some sort of expertise. And if I was to ask them, why isn't Jesus on this list of really smart people? I think the answer they'd probably give is, well, he's, he's nice and he's kind. He was a moral teacher. Um, but he was a man of faith, not facts. He's not someone that you look to to teach you about all of reality. Uh, he could teach you about love. But if you want to know about reality, how it really works, then you need to study scientists and philosophers and and business leaders. These people know how the world really works and how you can live well in it. But that doesn't explain the influence that Jesus has had on history. And that's not what Jesus says about himself. Uh, what does Jesus claim about himself, his teachings? He answers this in one of his parables. We're looking at parables. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at parables of Jesus. And we're going to look at one today. And in this parable, Jesus makes some very um, exclusive and big claims about the place that what he knows and what he teaches should have in our lives. So let's go ahead and read the parable. It's Matthew seven twenty four through 27. And it, it says, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same rains came down, the same streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what is Jesus saying? What is he claiming about his teaching? Well, what he's saying is, is that he has the best information about the biggest questions that everyone has to answer to build a good life. He's saying that he knows about reality, that he has expertise, not just theory. He's claiming to be the master builder, the master teacher of the human race. And that if we will trust him, put our confidence in him, learn what he says and put it into practice, that our lives will be built in an indestructible, eternal way. And that's that's a big claim. So how would we know if that's true? How, how would we know whether or not um, Jesus's claim is, is really true? 
Well, if we're going to know what, what, whether or not it's true, we're going to have to at least know what he teaches. So Jesus says, if you put into practice my words. So what are Jesus' words? What did he teach? What was his, his topic? If he was teaching a college course today, what would it be called? I think it would be called God and his kingdom. And I think it would be called God and his kingdom because about one and a half times on every page of the first four books of the New Testament, those are the Gospels, the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. About one and a half times on every page, Jesus talks about God and his kingdom. And so this seems to be something he knows about. And so what is it that God or Jesus knows about God and his kingdom? Well, he tells us in Mark 1.15, he says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If we were to say this today, we might say classes have started. Enroll now. Learn about God and his kingdom from Jesus and how you can live in it today. So what is it that Jesus knows about God and his kingdom? Well, the first thing that he knows is that God is a father. He's a loving father, and he is always with his children. Jesus teaches his students to pray in Matthew 6, and he says, this is how you should talk to God. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is a father. He's not a force or some principle, but he's, he's, a, he's a person, and he wants to relate to us as a father. He's a loving father. One of Jesus' students, John, um, reflecting on a life that he had lived, learning from Jesus how to live with God, he said, how great is the love of the father, how great, has the, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God loves us, and he wants to be our father. Now, what do you know about a father? A father, a good father, does at least four things. They direct, protect, provide, and correct. Fathers direct their children, right? They make sure that their kids are headed in the right direction, that they learn what they need to learn, that they know what they need to know so that they can live well in life. Good fathers protect their children. They make sure that no harm comes to them, that there's no damage in the environments that they live. They take personal responsibility over the protection of their children. Good fathers provide for their kids. They make sure their kids' needs are met. Physical, emotional, spiritual, social, whatever needs, good, good, good fathers love to give their children gifts. They provide for their kids, and they correct them. They make sure that if they're heading off in the wrong direction, that they are corrected with words, sometimes with discipline. And this is what a good father does. And, and God is a father, and he wants to be a father like that to all of us. He wants us to be his children. He wants to direct, protect, provide, and correct us in our lives because he loves us, and he knows what's best for us. This is what Jesus knows about God. Something else that he, he says is that um, God is always with us. In, in Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. That means that God is not far away, that he's, he's remote, that there's no place in this world you can go where you're separated from God, where God can't hear you, where God can't help you, where God can't direct, protect, and provide, and correct for you. When you come into God's kingdom, he is always with you, with his children. So what is God's kingdom? Right? If Jesus' college course is called God and his kingdom, and God is a father who loves us, then what is his kingdom? God's kingdom is everywhere what he wants done is done. That's what a kingdom is. It's where what you want done is done. It's where you rule and reign. So we all have kingdoms, right? When you're a child, it starts with your body. You learn to control your body. You're the one who's in charge of your body. And then it extends to your words and your thoughts and then you collect property. Sometimes you get authority, right? You have a, a, a job where you're the boss, and that's within your kingdom. Wherever what you want done is done, that's your kingdom. God has a kingdom. His kingdom is over all of creation, everything that he's made. 
There is no place you can go where God is not in charge, where God is not ruling and reigning. And when you are born again into the kingdom of God and you become a child of God, you enter into his kingdom. God, there is no limit to God's kingdom except the limits that he places on himself. Now, you may say, well, there's all sorts of evil in this world, so obviously God doesn't rule over the world. Well, that's not true. See, God has chosen in his plan for the human race to give us freedom, to allow us to build our own kingdoms independently from him. We, we can choose to live as our own father, as our own king, where we direct and protect and provide and correct ourselves. And we can build our lives independently from God. And this is one of the reasons why there's so much trouble and pain in this world. And God has allowed us to have this freedom because he wants us to choose to come into a relationship with him. But for all those who want to be one of God's children, who want to be born again and come into the kingdom of God, God is an ever-present father who loves us and will be with us. So what difference does this make? Knowing God and his kingdom this way, what, what difference does this make in our lives? How does this rebuild us, like Jesus says? Well, one of the things that it means is, um, well, actually, uh, let, me, let me go back. Um, if, if God and his kingdom is open to everybody, then how do you get into God and his kingdom? How, how do you get into this relationship with God? Jesus says that we should repent and believe the good news. Repent. Repentance means that you stop living your life going this direction, away from God, change your thinking, Change the way that you've ordered your life and turn and begin to trust Christ, put your confidence in him and allow him to begin to direct your life and rebuild you. You make Jesus your master teacher. That's what it means to repent. And then he says, believe the good news. Put your confidence in Jesus. Begin to do what he says. Begin to trust him and obey him. If you'll do that, then you will come into God's kingdom where he will personally be your father and take good care of you. And so there are lots of people in history who have experienced this. One of them is this guy. His name is Paul Cho. And uh, he was a poor uh, Buddhist in Korea who was dying of tuberculosis. And he heard about the Jesus the Christians preached. And so he prayed, God, if you're really there, heal me and I'll serve you. And God healed him. And since then, he's been serving Jesus Christ. And he's now the pastor of the largest church in the world, which is uh, the full gospel church in Korea. Uh, he, he called upon God who heard him from his kingdom, and God helped him because God's a loving father. Uh, someone else who um, I know who's, who's reached out to God this way and has taken a chance to see if God is really there, if his kingdom really is ruling over all, is a, a friend of my wife's. She had a coworker that she worked with at Applebee's, and she was sharing Christ with her, and she eventually became a Christian. Other people were telling her about Jesus as well. And she began to tell her husband about Christ and how God loved her and he wanted he wanted to be her, his father, and he wanted to take care of this man, but he wasn't convinced. Anyway, he went to this job. Uh, he had to take a test for a job um, to, to qualify for a, a better job. And when he was taking the test, he started to feel sick, and he wasn't able to complete it. So he went into the bathroom, and he just prayed. He said, God, if you're there, take this away so I can take this test. God did. Does God hear Buddhists when they pray? Does God hear people who don't believe him, believe in him when they pray? God hears everyone when they sincerely call out to him. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. For those who sincerely seek and reach out to the Father who is there, God hears. And this is why we tell people about God. This is why we share the news about, about Jesus Christ, so that people can come into a relationship with their Father. So what happens when you do? When you turn your life around you begin to look at Jesus as not just another teacher, but someone who's really, really smart, who knows the best information about reality. 
and you begin to trust him and follow him and walk after him and learn to rebuild your life his way, what, what happens? What can you expect? Well, um, one of the things that happens is lives are rebuilt uh, into lives that are generous, where we can be generous with what we have and where we can just ask for what we need. We, we're free to be generous with what we have and just ask for what we need. Um, God will make us into loving, generous people as we begin to put our confidence in Christ and we begin to allow him to rebuild our lives. You see, when you love somebody, you will their good. You want good for them from your heart. You want their good, and so you use your resources and your power to help them. You even sacrifice for people that you love. And we all know that we should be loving like this. You know, we should be loving people. It's what it means to be moral or ethical, like in any sense. But whenever you decide that you're going to love someone, that means that you have to give up your desires as kind of the core principle or goal in your life. You have to make loving other people the goal. And that leaves you with a really good question. Who's going to take care of me? While I'm busy loving this person, who's taking care of me? And the answer that Jesus gives us is your father, who is always with you, who loves you. He's taking care of you. And you can now be free, free to love others the way he loves you, to be generous with others the way he's generous with you, because he's always with you. Because you are in his kingdom. You are one of his children. Somebody who experienced this was a man named David. He was the king of Israel a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And uh, David had a really hard life. And he wrote this poem about his experience with God. This experience of an ever-present father who was directing and protecting and providing and correcting him. He, He knew God this way in his life. And so he wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I got everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He takes personal care of me and refreshes my soul. This was David's experience with God. God wasn't distant. He wasn't absent. He was near. He was close. He was actually guiding David's life the way a shepherd guides sheep. And God made sure that David was refreshed, that he was well supplied. This is the kind of relationship God wants to have with us if we will trust him and become his children. But it's very hard to believe this. Honestly, we live like alley cats. You ever seen alley cats? They scratch each other, their faces all torn up, they're skinny, their hair's matted. They live kind of stressed out lives. We, we can live like alley cats. And why do they live this way? There's nobody to take care of them. I saw some alley cats once that lived behind a shopping center. They were different. They were fat. Their hair was really nice. They had no scars on their faces. They didn't fight with each other. And what I found out was this woman was coming by every day, and she was giving them fresh food and fresh water. I even saw a possum get out of the tree and eat all the cat food. And the cats didn't touch him. When one cat was hungry, he would eat. When he was done, he'd walk away, and the next cat would come. When one cat was thirsty, they would drink, and when they were done, the next cat would come. No fighting, no ripping each other apart. You could say they were generous to the possum. Why? Why didn't they attack the possum? He was taking their food because they lived in the kingdom of this woman, and she took good care of them. And because she was with them, taking care of them, making sure they had what they need, they were free from all of the violence and stress 
and, and hoarding and closed-fisted living that cats have. That's how God can transform you when you become one of his children and live with him in his kingdom where he is always with you and always ready in love to direct, protect, provide, and correct. That's a very different picture of reality that Jesus is giving us. And Jesus is right. He is the smartest, most powerful man who ever lived. You can put your confidence in him. You can experiment. You can venture on the kingdom. You can test this out. You can see God become real in your life. And this is why Jesus tells his disciples to do crazy things. Like he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, when Jesus says go two miles, what he's talking about is Romans were the people that ruled over the Jews at the time of Jesus. And the Romans were brutal. They would just crush the Jews. They stole their land. They, they enslaved their, their kids and they murdered people. I mean, the Romans were brutal. The Jews hated the Romans and the Romans hated the Jews. But there was this law and it said that if you were a Jew and a Roman rolled up on you, They could take their pact of 100 pounds of gear, they could throw it at your feet and say, Jew, pick that up and carry it down the road. And you were by law required to pick up this pack and walk it down the road. And you had to do it for a mile. And then you could throw it down and you could curse the Roman under your breath and you'd get on with your life. It didn't matter what you were doing. It didn't matter how busy you were. It didn't matter if you were going to the hospital to see your sick mother. If the Roman ordered you, you had to drop it and you had to do what they said. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 5... That if anybody orders you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, what does that mean? What he's saying is, is when you become alive to God in his kingdom, when you're born again from me and you become a child of God and you begin to experience in your day-to-day life the provision and protection care of your father, you become transformed and you can be generous to a Roman soldier. So when you carry this pack, let's say that you're at the Sea of Galilee. It's the day off. It's the Sabbath. You're having a barbecue with your family. Kids are playing in the water. Going to have some fish. It's going to be great. Romans show up, they throw their stuff down, Jew, carried up that hill. When you get to the top of that hill and you look down the road and you see that the Romans' base is still a mile away, you look at the Roman and you say, sir, could I carry this for you the rest of the way? I'd be happy to help you. It's a hot day and you know what? If you want, I'll carry it all the way to the base. And when Jesus said this, people thought he was crazy. You can't live this way. Who's going to take care of you? Your father. In heaven, who is always with you and sees what you're doing, will take care of you. How do you know that God won't give you the sweetest moment that you've ever had with your kids that night? With your wife that night? So you can't be out generous in God. You can't outlove God. When you know your father's goodness, protection, his, his presence in your life, you're free to be kind, even to Romans. Something else that happens is you're rebuilt into people who are free to live honestly and just ask for what you need. No more manipulation, no more coercion, no more forcing people, no more violence. It's all done in the kingdom of God. You just ask for what you need. There's so much violence in our world. There's the shooting in Las Vegas. A guy killed 59 people. There's a shooting in Orlando. A guy killed 17 people. 9-11. There's so much violence in this world. And we do our best to explain it. And we trot out our experts and they tell us what's wrong and what we need to do to fix it. And we don't fix it. It just happens again. Because we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's really going down. Jesus does. And he'll teach us. But not many people think Jesus is smart enough to pay attention to nowadays. In our own personal lives, there's so much conflict and stress. Because we manipulate people. We try to force people. 
If somebody blocks our goals, they don't give us what we want, we blow up in anger. Or maybe you're not the blow up in anger kind of person. You're more of the shut down and get really cold and kind of the cold shoulder and not talk as a way of making people pay. I've done this. I'm sure you've done this. This is a form of coercion, of manipulation. We can be very pushy with people. We can be demanding. And we compromise our integrity. We do things we don't want to do. We become people we don't want to be. Why? Because that's what you have to do to get what you need to get in this world. This is a dog-eat-dog world, man. You just have to sometimes, sometimes you've got to push people around. Sometimes you have to dominate. Why do we live this way? Jesus knows the answer, and he knows the solution. He taught his followers. One of them was his brother, James. James became a pastor, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he taught them the answer. So let's look at their answer. In James 4, he said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire. You want something. You feel like you've been ripped off. Somebody has disrespected you. You need more money. You need more time off. You want something, but you don't have it. So you kill. You covet. You want what other people have. You feel this jealousy, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel. You fight. You push. You manipulate. You blow up. You shut down. You overpower people emotionally, physically. Verbally, you do not have. Why? Why don't you have what you need? Because you do not ask God. You don't ask God. He's not really there. Not really. Not so really there that I could ask him for what I need. And even if he is there, he's not going to, like, give it to me. Because he's not really that kind of a loving father. We would say we think this, but then our actions show us that we've learned to live as if we're orphans all alone. We live like alley cats with no one to take care of us. And so we have to manipulate people. We have to put the screws to them. Because if we don't, we won't get what we need. Jesus says, some of you do ask. When you ask, you don't receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You don't want God to be your father. You want him to be your genie. You want him to use his power and his resources to satisfy your desires. But that's not the kind of relationship God is offering. God wants to direct Protect, provide, and correct, not just provide and protect. And so Jesus tells his disciples, this is actually how you learn to live with people in the kingdom. In Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Just knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks their father in heaven, who's with them, he, he gives to them. They receive. The one who seeks from their father finds. And to the one who knocks on the door and keeps knocking, their father, who's good, will make sure the right door is open. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Think about it. Fathers is talking to the fathers. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good gifts to, give good gifts to those who ask him? God is a good, loving father who's with you, and he wants to give good gifts, so you can just ask. And this means we don't have to manipulate or push or force people anymore. We can just ask them for what we need and be patient. And let people make their own decisions and allow God to take care of us. If people don't give us what we want or what we need, that's okay. God's still with us. He's going to take care of us. You can lay your weapons down and begin just to ask people and be honest. So in our family, we try to teach this to our kids. And so we have like family rules like don't grab, don't demand, you know, don't yell, don't force, ask. Even if your brother takes your toy from you, you don't take it back. You say, brother... Can I have my toy back, please? 
Can I please have it back? It's my toy. And if your brother doesn't give it back to you, then you come to your parents, to the authority that God has put in your life, and you ask them. And they'll make sure it's done. What, what needs to be done is done. You don't force and demand. And I remember uh, it's trying to teach this to kids. It's, it's hard because it's, they don't believe it, you know, that I can just ask people. I don't have to force people. Um, I remember once my son was five and he was at a playground and he had a sword and he was playing with it and he put it on the ground. And another kid saw it and he came by and he grabbed it and picked it up and started playing with it. And my son saw him pick up his sword and so he went over to the guy and he was just about to grab it, but he looked across the playground and he locked eyes with me. And he went, and he, he's kind of doing like this right here and he's, um, can I have it? Can I have my sword back, please? It's my sword. Can I have it back, please? And the kid, he's all ready for a fight, right? He's all clenched up. Because kids don't ask in the playground. They don't, they take, you know, so he's ready. And my son is just asking for his sword back. And so the kid doesn't know what to do. And so he just, he just takes off and he runs away from my son. And my son sees him and he just chases the guy. And he's like, can I have it, please? Can I please have my sword back? Well, the kid stops. No joke. He stops like 10 seconds later. (sighs) Kind of puts his head down. He just holds the sword out. (laughs) And he gives it to Ben. It worked. It works. Asking works. Now, that's silly. And if the kid didn't give it to my son, he could have appealed to me an authority. And I could have made sure he got what he needed. God places authority over all of our lives. We have parents. We have teachers. We have cops. We have bosses. And if you ask somebody for what's rightfully yours and they don't give it back to you, you don't have to force or manipulate. You can simply appeal or ask your authority and allow them to do the job that God has given them to do. But in many situations, if you just ask people for what you need and what you want with no manipulation... And just be honest. People will help you. God will work in your life so that that occurs. I've experienced this. And you're always asking your father, and you're always asking people in the presence of your father. And since he's a good shepherd who's always with you, you know that even if you don't get what you want, he's still going to take good care of you. And so we experienced this recently. We went to Disneyland, and um, uh, one of our friends gave us four tickets to Disneyland, which is great, very generous. Disneyland is so expensive now. And um, we have five people in our family, though, right? So we didn't do the Hunger Games. We, we wanted to get everybody in. And the, the, the youngest child is three, Judah. He just turned three like six days before we went to Disneyland. So, you know, if he's two, he gets in free. And if he's three, it costs me 160 bucks. So, oh, you know, what do you do? Do you lie? You know, do you say, oh, yeah, you know, he's two. (laughs) Well, you do if you're an alley cat, you know, and you got to take care of yourself because God's not real. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. His kingdom is not open to us, and we're not his children. But I guess if God is your father, and I guess if he loves you, and I guess if he's really powerful, then, you know, technically I guess he could take care of you, even if you just ask them to let you in. So we started praying with our boys. Let's ask them to let us in. And let Judah in for free, right? We'll go to the ticket booth and say, hey, can we get Judah in for free? He's only been three for six days. We'll just ask them, and maybe they'll give it to us. So we asked, and they said no. <laughs> so, okay, whatever. So I, I got to spend 160 bucks. But you know what's crazy? As I was thinking about it, we had this hotel room we stayed in, and they upgraded us for free into a two-room suite with a door. And we have three boys and my wife and I. And I'll tell you what, that vacation was so sweet and so refreshing, and it was because... In part, we had this, this bigger room where we could have you know, some privacy and just have a little space for the three-year-old to nap. It would have been far more stressful. We didn't ask for that. That was just provided. 
And we needed a, a new car. I have a Blazer. It's really old. And so I've been praying for about a year off and on that God would provide another car at a really good price. And I wanted a truck. And he did. He provided me a Toyota Tundra for a really, 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 really good deal. And he provided it through another brother, a brother and sister, Christians. Um, uh, my brother and sister-in-law. They're both believers. And um, they basically sold it to me for really, really cheap. God provided that. And I think if I was to add up all the ways God provides for me at the end of my year, I would see that I'm well supplied. Like David says, I lack nothing. And so that means that I can, if I'm willing to trust God, and I'm not always willing to trust God, but if I'll trust God, he'll rebuild my life into a life of honesty and asking, of love and generosity. So how can you know Christ and his kingdom today? How can you know Christ and his kingdom today? You notice I switched the language there, and the reason why is because the Father has placed everything in the hands of the Son. Jesus now rules and reigns over the Father's kingdom. He says this in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God's kingdom and all the power of this world is in my hands. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make more students of mine, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? Bringing them alive within this kingdom, immersing them in the kingdom of God, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, right? Teach them to put my words into practice so that their lives can be rebuilt, indestructible, eternal. And then he says, and surely I am with you always. The way my Father is with you always, I am now with you always too. I will direct you. I will protect you. I will provide for you, and I will correct you. Always, I will never leave you. You are always with me. There's no situation you face where I can't take care of you if you'll trust me. So be free and love. Be generous. Stop forcing it and controlling. and Just ask and allow me to rebuild your life into an indestructible life. So the way that you're going to experience this, the way that this is going to happen in your life is, one, you're going to have to know what he says. If you're going to put into practice, you're going to have to know what Jesus says. So you'll have to study. You're going to have to read the Bible. You're going to have to fill your mind with what Jesus says. You're going to have to memorize the words of Jesus and recite them and talk about them with other people. And you're going to sing them and think about them. And as you do that, you can begin to take steps where you interact with your Father who's with you and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then something you can do to experience Christ today is repent. And enter the kingdom of God. Decide that Jesus is actually who he says he is. The master teacher. The Lord. Put your confidence in him. And begin to turn your life around. And put your faith in him. Allow him to direct you and protect protect you. Provide and correct you. Take what he says and put it into practice. If you would like help learning how to become a Christian, we would love to help you. Just let us know in the connection card on the back. We We would love to have somebody meet with you if you'd like. Uh, If you are a believer, then something you can do to begin to experience Christ in his kingdom today. How do you know this is really real? This is really how the universe runs. You have to try. (laughs) You have to experiment a little bit. So choose to be loving and generous. Think of the people in your life. Pick one person. It could be your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, coworkers, roommates. It could be other students. Pick a person this week. Don't tell them, but make it your goal to love them really, really good, to be generous to them. Who's it going to be? 
Pick a person. Love them. Be generous to them. And when you do, you're going to start to have to sacrifice for them. And then you're going to hear the question, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? And that's when you know that you're in the kingdom. Because you are now in a position to where your father is the one you're depending on. And God will take care of you. He will take good care of you as you love others. This is how you begin to experience his personal presence in your life. And it is what God wants. It's what it means to have eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ. The second thing you can do if you're a believer is stop forcing and start asking. What's your favorite kind of manipulation? Do you blow up? Do you shut down? Do you push? Do you lie to get people to do what you want them to do? Do you talk over people and grab? Identify a way that you tend to push and manipulate and lay that weapon down for a week. Refuse to do it. And that's going to put you in a vulnerable position because if you can't control the situation, then who's going to take care of you? And the answer is, there you go. That was my son. (laughs) And then you're going to do three things. You're going to lay the weapon down, and one, you're going to ask God for what you need. You're going to ask God for the outcome you want. Two, you may ask somebody else. You may ask somebody else. And then three, you just wait. And even if you don't get what you want, you're okay. Because the Lord is your shepherd. And you're in good hands. I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope you you can see how smart and powerful Jesus is. And the difference becoming one of his children and living with him in his kingdom can make in your life. And I hope you'll take one of these three steps so that you can experience Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for uh, just how you are, are willing to come into our world and open up the doors to your kingdom through Jesus. Lord, we, we, just, we say Jesus is smart. He knows what he's talking about. And we, we want to put our confidence and trust in him. And we pray that you help us understand how it, how it works. How does the kingdom work? How can we live with you? That you would free us from, from stinginess and selfishness and from manipulation and control and allow us just to, just to ask, to be generous, to love. Please rebuild our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.